one. And good morning or good afternoon, everyone. This is Nelson, Nelson J. Zambrano here, Investing in America. Um, today, well, before I kick off right there, uh, as you all know, or as uh, many of you know, some might not, not, not know, uh, we focus on investing, investing in the U.S., uh, specifically on real estate. Um, 75% of all episodes have to do with the life cycle of a real estate investment, not just a transaction, but the life cycle of the investment. And within that life cycle, you've got um, many partners, many individuals to help make that investment um, work out right and be profitable. Um, and then 25% of the remaining episodes we talk about uh, on the other aspects. So for example, we'll have on board a high performance coach, a relationship coach, yes, a relationship person. Um, why? Relationships uh, have a big impact on what we do and what we do not do. Um, and uh, more people along those lines and even entrepreneurs that have, uh, that are not involved in the real estate space. Okay, why? Because they can bring some best practices. They know how to deal with adversity. And that's something that helps all of us. So today we have on Jason Hurst. Um, Jason is, uh, he is kind of both. He is a real estate broker uh, on the commercial side. Uh, and he's also an entrepreneur as well. So having said that, Jason, it is a pleasure to have you here on board. Yeah, pleasure, pleasure to be here, Nelson. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Well, most definitely. And thank you for giving us the opportunity. Jason, I wanted to ask, could you kind of introduce yourself, give us uh, uh, some background, okay? Sure. And who uh, Jason Hurst is. Sure. Jason Hurst from the, I like to call it the motherland, uh, Chicago, uh, Chicagoland area of Illinois. Uh, grew up uh, right outside in the west suburbs of Chicago uh, for majority of the first and formative years of my life. Um, went to Florida A&M University from there, uh, where I, I majored in business, got my MBA, uh, was very involved on campus. Actually, you won't, you, I never shared this with you, Nelson, but I had a radio show for about two and a half years on uh, oh. W-A-N-M, the, the flavor station. Uh, someone called it the uh -huh. flavor. <laughs> but I'm sorry, say again, what was that again? The flavor station, uh, 90.5. The flavor station. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that was a, that was a fun stint in my life, but also involved with, uh, fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity, um, very involved with the business school. And one of the things that, um, piqued my interest was investing. So it's, it's ironic that, you know, fast forward 20 some years later that we're sitting on an investing in America podcast. Um, because when I was at school, I actually started a, an investment group. Um, we did not know about investing. Uh, we wanted to learn about investing and, and see how we could put our money to work for us. We didn't have much of it, so it was good that we had a whole bunch of people that kind of pulled our money together. It was like $25 a month, nothing really major. We would take that out of, our, out of the money that our parents would give us and put it together to invest, uh, which we, we had some pretty decent returns and learned a lot about investing. The best way to learn about investing is just putting your money in it and uh, see where it goes from there, especially when you don't have any kids and all these other responsibilities. Um, but yeah, that was my mm -hmm, first foray mm -hmm. into investing. So when I graduated from FAMU, um, I thought that I wanted to be in a career in investing. So I, I joined the JP Morgan uh, firm. I worked on Wall Street, my first job out of school um, on the private mm -hmm. bank side. So I did portfolio analysis for JP Morgan out of school and uh, love New mm -hmm. York. Uh, really did not like the lifestyle. It was 80 hours a week. I was 25, 24 years old. 
wanted to uh, kind of have some kind of work-life balance. Um, but, but so I, I used that to, uh, back in school, I, one of the internships that I did was with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So Pfizer Pharmaceuticals uh, gave me a standing offer upon my graduation, and I still had about a few months left on that offer. So I took an offer with Pfizer and said, give me the first thing that opens up. Doesn't matter where. Um, they say, we got something in the South. It may pique your interest. It's going to be in Florida. I was like, okay, cool. So they said, it's, it's the Jacksonville Territory. Is that okay with you? I was like, yes. So interviewed for the Jacksonville Territory, got the job. And they said, okay, you're going to be part mm -hmm. of this Jacksonville team, but you're going to be based in Gainesville. I said, where? They said, Gainesville. So <laughs> came to this town that I live in now called Gainesville 14 years ago. Hadn't, didn't know anybody here. Uh, didn't know anything about Gainesville other than the University of Florida, which I found out was here when I actually moved here. <laughs> so... So did, did pharmaceutical sales for two years, um, got involved with the church, uh, met my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, but we were friends for about four years. Um, just in an interaction in the church. She was actually on the women's basketball team here at, at uh, UF uh, under, under Amanda Butler. So that's what the job that she had. Um, I did pharmaceutical sales for two years. And then I said, you know what? I am tired of working under a structure that makes everyone else rich, but I don't have a way to uh, marginalize my efforts. So I always had the entrepreneurial bug. I uh, started several different businesses uh, throughout, uh, I mean, throughout multiple different industries. So landscaping, uh, I, was, I sold t-shirts in school, uh, had the investment club, uh, but I ended up uh, getting laid off from Pfizer around the Great Recession and um, ended up mm -hmm. jumping into uh, the maintenance business. And I was gonna go try to find a franchise then uh, that would, that would allow me to be in a janitorial business and, and adapt a, a system like franchises do. After going through the costs and all the rigmarole of getting through that system, I said, you know what, I can do this on my own. So I started a company called Sparkling Spots, doing general contracting. Mm -hmm. um, got a few, did a few networking events, got a few contracts, cleaning 18 banks in the Gainesville area. So I took that and leveraged wow. that to do some, uh, some more retail with Verizon. I did, did some government retail as a subcontractor uh, for the Florida Department of Transportation, uh, United States Postal Service. We serviced 22 locations throughout Florida. So I was like, this cleaning thing is all right. And it's funny because my parents heard that story. And they're like, he couldn't even clean his room. Now he's running all these different locations. <laughs> so <laughs> it's funny how that works. Uh -huh. Turn it into a business, even though you can't do it yourself. But no, I, uh, I learned the cleaning business very well and uh, did, did service our clients very well. Uh, but I always had this bug that uh, for real estate. I don't know why. Um, but I said, you know, during that time when I was doing the, the commercial real estate, uh, commercial uh, cleaning business, I said, you know what, uh, commercial real estate is where I, I, I sense this calling to be. I always want to serve people. Uh, I always want to uh, help businesses grow and expand. Um, I'm a, I was a big foodie mm -hmm. at the time. So I said, you know, once this market bounces back, this was 2009, 2010, uh, at the bottom of the market, uh, I'm going to get my real estate license and, and, and try this, uh, this real estate thing. So I got my license in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, I did not know very many people. As a matter of fact, you know one of my contacts, uh, Bo Berry, who's a very big multifamily guy uh -huh. now. At that time, he was a kind of a generalist. I said, you know what? He's successful. I'm going to go sit under Bo. For six months, I did that. Not, didn't ask for any money. I was still running the cleaning business. So three days out of the week, I just sat under Bo. I said, take me to every meeting. Give me every resource. Give me every best practice. Don't pay me anything. Just let me learn under you. Because I always like to go learn from the best whenever possible uh, mm -hmm. to try to be the best. So I did that for six months, got my license, and I was, thought I was going to jump on Bo's team. But 
he had other uh, visions for me. So he put me on the residential side of things and uh, I trusted him immensely. So I did residential real estate for four years. Uh, was marginally successful at it. And I'm sorry, for four months, was marginally successful at it. And I said, you know what? I got to get on the commercial side. What, what other opportunities out there? So bumped into a gentleman at the, uh, one of the Gator football games and he had a company that I admired. Wanted to sit down with him just to discuss marketing efforts. And um, he had other things in mind. So uh, he wanted me to be a part of their team, like, like me, liked everything I had to offer, liked my story. And uh, the rest is history. I joined Front Street Commercial Real Estate Group in 2015. Uh, they were uh, later acquired by Avis and Young, uh, a company out of Canada uh, back in 2019. Mm -hmm. I did that for uh, several, several years. I think I was with them for about five or six years. And um, Collier's came and rec recruited me. Collier's and JLL were recruiting me. So I was, JLL wanted to move me to Tampa. I had a re real estate team. Uh, Collier's wanted me to keep me here and allow me to have the resources that I've been longing for. So I joined Collier's about uh, two months ago. Um, so been been with the Collier's firm and it has been absolutely the, one of the best decisions I've made professionally. But uh, that's, that's my story in a nutshell. I have two small kids. Uh, an 11 year old mm -hmm. and a, and a, a three year old, a, a three teenager, like uh -huh. I call it. Um, she is uh -huh. uh, aptly named Jason as well, spelled a little bit more of a feminine twist with a t feminine twist, but she runs our household. I go okay. to her for all my decision making uh, endeavors. And then my son is starting uh, middle school this year, which I'm very proud of. It's like you, you snap your, you have a kid too, you snap your fingers and blink, and they're, they're, from the cradle to, to almost looking you in the eye. And it's, it's amazing, but love parenthood, love being right. married. I'll be celebrating, uh, as, as we're recording this, I'll be celebrating eight years of marriage this month. So I'm very excited about that. We're going to go to oh. Disney World, socially distance and sanitize, but <laughs> um, it, it, we're going to go to celebrate in, in Disney World down in Orlando. That's about the, the length of our travel that we feel comfortable with. So. Uh, lots going on in my life. I'm also a franchisee for uh, Maple Street Biscuit Company, one of the fastest growing fast casual uh, restaurants in the country. Um, so we're very proud of that. Mm -hmm. Recently acquired by Cracker Barrel back in October. So that's been an interesting transition too. We could probably jump in and talk about. So I'm not going to take up all mm -hmm. much time talking about myself. Uh, I like to engage with you and I, I always value conversations with you because you always give me a, a spin and a way to think about things that I had not prior thought about. So I want to hear from you too. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a great. Uh, and, and thank you for uh, for the background, for the update, all the things that you've done. And uh, also, I'll let Bo know that you put a strong in plug for him, oh, too, yeah. as well. Um, yeah, he's a fantastic person. Uh, great broker, incredible attention to detail. And I see that uh, um, well, some of that rubbed off on you and then you brought a lot of it on your own. The um, uh, and of course, my military side of me wants to say, stay safe in Disney. Um, so I just get, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Um, you know, I, I might even recommend just Netflix and watch all kinds of Disney movies or Disney, something Disney in your Plus. house. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, just, uh, you know. So um, can, can you give us a, a kind of an overview as to what you're seeing on the commercial space, okay, we're in a COVID-19 environment. We are well into this recession. Um, we're well into this recession. And on top of that, 
uh, I mean, the, the best example is if we look at the Mall of the Americas, which is the largest mall in the nation uh, in Minnesota, um, they have not paid their mortgage. I think it's what, four or five months now the largest mall in the United States. So can you give us a broad overview, first of all, of the U.S. commercial, and I'll throw it out there. You can, U.S. commercial, very broad, and then we'll kind of deep dive down into North Florida, Central Florida uh, on the commercial side. And, uh, you know, again, I'll, I'll leave it up to you to go uh, commercial retail or commercial multifamily and retail. But um, I want to keep it broad, but at the same time, I don't want it to be, you know, too broad. So I, yeah. I, I give it to you. So I'll, uh, I'll do sort of a funnel, commercial real estate from abroad, and I'll trickle down to uh, uh, the particular asset classes overview, and then particularly the, li the, the field that I live in, which is retail. Um, which is or, or if, yeah, or if you want. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's go for okay. it. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so. There's been three major recessions in my, my lifetime, um, 87, which I was probably not old enough to even uh, know, know what a recession was, um, 2008, 2009, uh, the, what we title as the Great Recession, and then the recession that we're in now, which is not titled yet, but we will probably call it the social distancing recession. I don't know um, if, if they do call mm -hmm. it that, you get credit for that. Um, but unlike any other prior recession, this is a recession that affects every single facet of life. And it's just a chain reaction. And it shows, since we are a global community now, how much we are interconnected mm -hmm. with every single thing that we do. Um, as it pertains to commercial mm -hmm. real estate, um, it's, it's like one side of the coin is having issues with financing because they have mortgages to pay, commercial backed securities. We've got the SBA. Uh, now that is going to have lean on certain things that we have. And then on the other side of the coin, we have people who have, been mandated to close down fitness facilities, uh, bars, um, offices have been mandated to stay home. Uh, uh, retail, you've got limited capacity. So if one can't make the money to pay one, the other can't make the money to pay their mortgage, what in the heck <laughs> do we do? Um, so- Right, there's a ripple effect. Yeah, it's a ripple effect, absolutely. Um, as it pertains to multifamily, how it's affecting multifamily, is that there's a bunch of, I'll talk from a, a, a micro standpoint, because we're in Gainesville, one of the largest uh, college towns, which is heavily relied, heavily relies on um, student access. Surprisingly, mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. have been fantastic with still pre-leasing all of the multifamily assets here. Not all, but most, most more than we thought that they would pre-lease those assets because they just can't sit on mom and dad's couch anymore. Uh, and, and they want to have some kind of college experience, even if it is taking classes online from their dorm or from their apartments um, specifically. Um, but, but from a market standpoint in the multifamily, we find that a lot of people that are starting to move from the congestion and the density of the city, moving back out to the suburbs, there was a huge pilgrimage uh, a few years back of people who were moving from the suburbs to the city to have this live work play balance, but now they're moving back out to the suburbs to have a little bit more of a social distancing uh, spread mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Their, their neighbors, so to speak. As it pertains to retail, right. probably the hardest hit um, sector, um, we're seeing some large name brand names that we've, we've grown up to love and appreciate and work with, like a Macy's and um, Toys R Us, um, Pier One. Neiman Marcus. 
the, the list goes, I mean, yeah, the list goes on and on. Uh, falling by the wayside. Now, part of that was already starting, thanks to the, the Amazon slash e-commerce effect on business, but it was the ultimate accelerator once the pandemic hit and forced those businesses. Mm -hmm. Some of them are being propped up by PPP funding, uh, SBA funding, and all these other initiatives on a local stamp from a local standpoint that are propping these businesses and, up. And, 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 and Jason, one second. We've got a lot of listeners from overseas, okay. so I just want to, to jump in. So Jason previously mentioned SBA, that Small Business Administration, which is a branch of the federal government to support uh, small business owners. Now, in the United States, a small business is not necessarily just the individual with a hot dog stand, okay? Um, that quote-unquote small business can actually be a pretty big business. I mean, they can be doing revenues of $50 million, and that's so-called a quote-unquote small business, all right? Um, so $50 million, and you're a small business. Um, okay, try figuring that one out. So, uh, again, it's not just a guy pushing a hot dog stand. Uh, PPP is the Payment Protection Program. Uh, implemented to um, to support business owners so that they can continue to um, basically pay their employees so they're not just on a furlough capacity, uh, which means they're on the books, but they're not getting paid. So they can continue to still get a paycheck. If they're still continuing to do that, that money is quote unquote forgiven. If it goes somewhere else, well, then it's them versus the Department of Justice, and we know who's going to win that fight. Right. Um, so, okay, Jason, I'll turn it back to you. I just wanted to throw that out, some acronyms, and uh, some folks yes. overseas may not be familiar with that. Jason, Very back to you. And I'll take my time to explain. So, yeah, the... the, the, not, the no, don't, don't worry. Just go. Okay. No, you're you're <laughs> so, yeah, good. The, the, the PPP was a great program in that it gave 2.5% or 2.5% uh, worth of, of payroll payments towards businesses, uh, which they can use towards rent payments, utility payments, uh, and, and other ancillary business uh, interests that they could uh, keep their businesses and doors open, so to speak. However, that was only going to last for about two and a half months. So now we're getting towards the end of that funding period where that money is starting to roll off a of book. So a lot, a lot of people are going to start being exposed. We have not seen retail vacancies spike the way we thought they would uh, with all the businesses that were mm -hmm. closed, businesses that were, were furloughing uh, certain certain employees. But we believe that in the fall, we're going to see the real shakeout of what, what the retail industry or how the retail industry has been impacted. Uh, as it pertains to office mm -hmm. space, weird dichotomy with, with office spaces. So a lot of the offices are closed. And in many cases, they're mandating that their employees don't come back till 2021. The interesting thing is that those that are still allowing their people to come to the office, at first they said, hey, we're, you know, half of our staff is coming to the office. We're going to downsize and look look towards uh, remedies for getting out of our lease and or uh, not renewing our lease and going to a smaller format. However, <laughs> there's all these guidelines that local municipalities have had that has that called for calls for uh, social distancing uh, and, and all of these parameters by which you almost need the space to be able to spread out and lay out your floor plans to have those people. So at first, ah. we're, like, hmm, we're gonna downsize, but we need all of this space. So you know what? Don't, don't even worry about what we just said. Maybe we can work on the rent, but the size is, is, is going to stay the same. So, so we're still seeing mm -hmm. what the shakeout of that is going to be uh, now that people are starting to return to work and or figuring out their infrastructure at home. Uh, another interesting thing with the office offices is that a lot of businesses uh, want to make sure that their employees are equipped at home with the, the proper infrastructure. 
with 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 internet, uh, you know, the the, the broadband, uh, laptops, and things of that nature. So that also has been a burden on businesses to be able to make sure that their key employees are at home with the proper infrastructure. Um, industrial has mm-hmm. been the darling of the pandemic. And the reason why I say that is because industrial uh, is the home to a lot of e-commerce businesses. So a lot of e-commerce businesses need that space to be able to um, distribute, have uh, last mile distribution. Um, and in many cases, Amazon, who's been a big player in the industrial uh, real estate, has, has found out that industrial real estate is really a constrained market right now. Uh, it really is not set up to handle that infrastructure. So they are looking at repurposing mm-hmm. retail places for last mile distributions because what are retail assets? They're well positioned. Uh, they have the right size. So, so and, 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 and Jason, just, just to confirm. So when you're saying industrial, you mean warehouses? Warehouses, okay. warehouses, um, distribution centers, things of that nature. <clears throat> Okay. All right. Correct. And last mile distribution is literally when that UPS, DHL, FedEx, Amazon package is coming to your doorstep. That because it's gone from some other major warehouse, flown on some plane or some uh, truck, some vehicle, boat maybe, and then <clears throat> it's that from that truck, that big van, and it comes to your doorstep. Yeah, that's the last mile distribution, correct? Correct. That is correct. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so the, uh, Amazon in, in small little Gainesville, population hundred thousand, MSA of about two hundred fifty thousand. Amazon bought a hundred thousand square foot facility here uh, to be able to handle last mile distribution. So imagine if it's happening in Gainesville, what scale is happening on in larger MSAs like South Florida, um, uh, Orlando? Uh, and that's just that's right. just Florida, Chicago. Uh, New York and things of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. Well, good, good, good. Um, so when an investor is looking, let's say at, um, at a retail uh, space. Okay. How can they make that? Because we mentioned this, how can they make that one is how can they make that asset or what should they look at when looking at that retail space to make it Amazon proof? So that, that's a question that we get a lot from um, our clients and we, we learn a lot from our clients too. So I, I manage um, portfolios for REITs, such as site centers, uh, Regency centers, uh, and Kimco's, three of the largest REITs um, in our country. And one of the things that they're making sure that they are looking at in their portfolio is Amazon proofing the center. So what is Amazon proofing the center? Something that you can't click mm-hmm. a cart and order. <laughs> so essentially it's something mm-hmm, that you mm-hmm. can't, this is a disposable asset or, or a uh, consumable asset that you can't uh, easily replace, such as fitness. You can't right. get fitness equipment, sure, but you can't get a trainer. You can't, um, you know, have that community that people seek out for gyms. So gyms, depending on credit, uh, are one of the asset classes that they're looking to uh, put in, in a lot of shopping centers. Uh, medical. Medical has been on the rise. Medical space has been on the rise. However, it's been on the rise at a, at a clip to which development has not yet caught up with. So they are looking at repurposing uh, facilities. For instance, uh, the Oaks Mall here in Gainesville had a Sears box. And as you know, Sears had struggled and filed for bankruptcy uh, multiple times over. Um, they had a, about a, I call it about a 90 uh, or 80 or 90,000 square foot box here uh, in Gainesville. And the University mm-hmm. of Florida uh, you know, UF Health 
uh, one of the largest employers for North Florida, ended up backfilling that box and made it a surgery center. Um, we were seeing ah. in other malls, uh, people who are putting assisted living facilities and, and multifamily attached to malls. So people are starting to look at more so the experiential uh, aspect of backfilling spaces, uh, retail mm -hmm. spaces that is, and also mm -hmm. uh, the tenant mix, not only the tenant mix, but also the credit uh, worthiness of those individuals. Uh, and and that, that's, a, that's a huge hot button right now with a lot of uh, businesses who marginally produce, um, marginally produce or commoditize what they, what they sell rather than creating an experience. Now, I'll say this for retailers, a lot of the shopping centers that- Okay, well, but Jason, one second. So you said one is creating a product and the other one is creating an experience. Correct, 100%. Okay, so, so just to clarify, creating an experience is like going to Disney. Disney creates an experience, okay? Um, would you say the medical facilities is that creating an experience or is that creating? That, that's creating that's creating a service by which you cannot reduplicate or you cannot uh, obviously order on e-commerce. Now, there is a dichotomy switch where there is a lot of uh, people who are doing telehealth right now uh, because of quarantining. Mm -hmm. that day, when you need surgery, you need uh, medical care and it has to be face to face. Those are the little nuances that people are looking at when they're backfilling medical spaces into retail. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah, because we we can't do surgery over a uh, over video. Not at least yet. we shouldn't Not be. Yet. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Get 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 the doctor here, uh, or I go to the doctor. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So we've got to Amazon proof. It's got to be a service that needs to be delivered in person. So that could be a gym. That could be a barbershop. Um, um, certain specialized pharmacies. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Restaurants, all the social distancing might, might do in some hurting. So please continue along with the Amazon proofing. And then also uh, what we're also seeing is that a lot of these brands are starting to consolidate their uses. What I mean by that is, for instance, 7-Eleven, which is a deal that I'm working on now, has bought uh, gas stations. They've also bought uh, QSRs or quick service restaurants, restaurant brands. And now they are taking this one-stop shop mentality that was created by Walmart and creating a smaller version of it that's convenient, that's easy to touch, that's easy to reach. And they are going gangbusters throughout, throughout Florida uh, and the Southeast. Hmm. One is CVS and Walgreens. They are getting heavy into the, the medical space. Um, they already were in the medical space with pharmacy, but now they're having small urgent care facilities within Walgreens. So, you know, while you're waiting for okay. your, while you're waiting for care and service, you're more apt to, to shop during that time um, and, and, and engage okay. in that way. Uh, we're even seeing Walmart as if they didn't have enough associated brands with them or enough associated with their store. They're now having urgent care facilities that they're rolling out. Uh, throughout Florida and some parts of the country. So we're also seeing a consolidation of brands to make it more convenient. Because if you're going to leave your house, if you're going to have to wear a mask, if you're going to have to be socially distanced, you don't want to have to hit one store, two store, three store, four store. You want to go to one place and get back to your family and, not, and limit your exposure to the elements, so to speak. Right. So based upon what you said, COVID-19, Corona, slash recession might be the big equalizer between Amazon and Walmart. 
I, I didn't say it in those exact words, but it, it, it is um, definitely causing a lot of people to rethink their models. Those, I mean, those two brands have been extremely successful and have been uh, somewhat uh, pandemic proof and have been leaders during this time. I, I, I didn't ever think I would say that Walmart would be a leader, but um, uh, that, that's a personal that's a personal stance against Walmart. Uh, but they are definitely uh, they've definitely been thought leaders at least. Yeah, well, it's definitely a leader. So let's let's do this because I I know our our time is running, um, and I think we may even have to have a, a second episode here. Um, you know, let let me let me ask you when an investor is looking at a strip center at a at a retail center, um, what should they be looking at? What kind of what kind of due diligence yeah so uh the investors that we're that we work with um are obviously looking at capitalization rates or their their rate of return on a particular uh asset uh because of the balance between supply and demand those cap rates which have on shopping centers uh in well let's call it a located locations uh traditionally mm -hmm, have been mm -hmm. about a six percent return uh, they're now because of demand, uh, because of lack of demand and uh, increased amount of supply, uh, going up to this seven or eight cap range. Um, so definitely want to look at the rate of return on those shopping centers. Uh, any deferred maintenance? Uh, you know, what are the ages of the mm -hmm. room? What are the ages of the HVAC units? How much power to each suite? I know depending on what kind of uses are in there, uh, a restaurant is going to need more power than a shoe store. Um, definitely looking at the tenant mix nowadays. Um, we just talked about the Amazon mm -hmm. of a particular place, um, but also not having a whole bunch of food. I know that that has been a hot topic now, um, the, the food aspect uh, in the sense that um, limited capacity, uh, you know, curbside delivery has kind of limited that ability to, uh, to serve food. And one, one thing we need to follow up on, maybe it'd be another episode, is the rise of food halls and ghost kitchens. Uh, as a replacement for restaurants and QSRs, but that's that's a whole nother episode. Uh, but yeah, ghost kitchens, ghost kitchens. Have you heard of that? A ghost kitchen. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. It's so but funny it because being being a restaurant owner um, is something that I had thought about, but now it's being coined as a term. And what it is is because there's so many third party deliveries, and a lot of people, the third party deliveries is taken off. I think there's going to be consolidation in that industry. Um, but because third-party delivery has taken off so much, some people are just literally finding space, 500, 800 square feet max, to just be a kitchen. And what that kitchen does is it establishes an address by which you can only do third-party delivery. So you're 100% in the third-party delivery and maybe if you, if you have the infrastructure, uh, direct delivery. Uh, but people are finding spaces just to be ghost kitchens. So me, Maple Street owner, as a ghost kitchen, would not have a place where you can sit down not have a place where you know you had to be greeted. I just have people that are literally cooking to service third-party delivery and maybe even direct delivery. It's called Ghost Kitchen. So this is like uh, this is uh, we talked about the guy with the with the cart selling yeah. hot dogs. Yeah. Um, and this would be uh, like the guy in New York with the Chinese takeout delivery, where yeah. everybody in New York that I know in their refrigerator has a white box with you know chicken fried rice. Um, they've never met that owner, uh -huh. but they get at least once a week, the pork fried rice, 100%. a box of pork fried rice. 
100%. So uh, me, me yeah. as a restaurant owner went from, and during the pandemic, went from uh, 20 to 30% to 40 to 50% in sales for third-party delivery. You are literally eliminating the house and eliminating the walk-in experience and just being a kitchen, which means that you are a ghost, essentially. <laughs> yeah, 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 like the guy in New York. Pork fried rice, yes, boom, one, two, three, four, four floor, I'll see you there. Yep. Uh, we'll be there in 25 minutes. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, back I to your conversation well. about uh, due diligence. Yeah, so we, we want to see the, uh, the length of the leases. So we want to know how much term we have from those leases. You want to see the credit of the tenants, right? Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that we mm -hmm. have stable tenants that are, uh, God forbid, they, they, they fold, that we have uh, some kind of something to hang our hats on and be able to recoup our expenses. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. You definitely want to look at the one, three, five ring or the one mile, three mile, five mile ring of demographics, what that looks like uh, right. five or 10 years from mm -hmm. now, how mm -hmm. the, the plans for growth are. Um, and then you also want to look at the competitive landscape. How many other types of businesses compete in that sub market where that particular retail uh, center, center lands? Um, so th those are the type of things that, and even property management, whether you're going to manage it on your own or who the property management firm is. Um, I, I recommend this. We, we pitch this a lot. Um, property management and leasing, in my opinion, should go hand in hand. And I'll tell you why, because if you have one firm that's handling the property management, they know what the leasing needs to be successful. If leasing is having some challenges, um, in most cases, property management is who they are turning to. And if there's a disconnect between two different firms and they're not communicating, um, then, then you have, uh, one that's depending on the other and the other that's depending on this. So I, I want to make sure that um, leasing and property management go hand in hand. And we usually pitch those things uh, in, in most cases mm. uh, in all of our presentations. So. Wow. Wow. Well, Jason, we're definitely going to have uh, a second episode because we're kind of in our, our time hack <laughs> right here. Um, no so let me, let me kind of ask, well, let's just do this. Let's just plan on a second episode. Okay. So um, how can people reach you in between now and the next episode? How, how can folks reach you? Sure. So I'm, I'm very active on uh, LinkedIn at, at Jason Hurst and also Instagram at the Jason Hurst. That's T-H-E Jason Hurst uh, on, on Instagram. And then also, like I said, on LinkedIn at Jason Hurst, J-A-S-O-N. H-U-R-S-T. You can also email me at jasonjhurst81 at gmail.com. That's jasonjhurst81 at gmail.com. And I will reply back as fast as humanly possible. I love connecting with people. Okay. Well, Jason, first of all, thank you very much. Um, I have learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have. And uh, I'm also looking forward to our uh, next interview because there's a lot of really good information here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, too. Yeah, I would love to even touch on the, the tenant perspective of the uh, the other side of the coin. So not just the landlord perspective, okay. the investor perspective, but also those oh. that are in the trenches. Well, well, we definitely will. And Jason, again, thank you very, very much.